falling to pieces and who lets God know just how bad it is. And so uh, I want to read that in its entirety to you. Um, and it's, it's uh, quite winded, but uh, I want you to hear the struggle. And I want you to hear, I want you to listen for um, a moment maybe that relates to a season of your life. Because no one is immune from sorrow, right? Uh, we live in a fallen world, and so it's, it's inevitable. And yet, how do we walk with God through seasons of despair? How do you do it? And so we're going to look at that this morning. Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. Have you ever felt like that? My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death so the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, God. In the midst of my days, your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence, and descendants will be established before you. 
How are you doing? Has anybody ever asked you how you're doing and, and you've responded honestly? How you doing? Not so good. Not so good. Oh, that's great. Have a good one. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Did you hear what I said? Not so good. And sometimes... We tend to look at other people because we're the only ones with the problems, true? Everybody else has everything put together and their life's just dandy. Um, but our honest prayers sound more like lament at times. God, what are you doing? God, do you hear me? The psalmist here is unknown, um, but we see a mention of the rebuilding of Zion, and so we can kind of put together that this is written uh, during um, in the exile in Babylon. And uh, so there's a lot to kind of feel there. And so just as a just historical context to kind of dive into what this person is, is actually feeling. But um, I've been there, have you? I've been there multiple times. And so I couldn't help but when I like but reading this this week and 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 going back to those places, those dark days in my life. They've never left me. They seem to to follow me. How about you? A lament is structure, uh, structured uh, with a progression. And so if you look at the book of Lamentations, if you look at the, the book of Job, uh, and you see this kind of desperate plea to God, uh, there's an address to God. And so we, we saw that. Hear my prayer, Lord, let my cry for help come to you. There's complaint. And by the way, God can handle your complaints. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, there's a confession of trust. And so there's a transition. We're being honest with God. That's what matters, right? We're not reciting some kind of ritual prayer that um, is feelingless and emotionless, just words on a page, but we're being honest with God. And I, and I believe that's what God wants most. All of you, all the joy, the desire, the pain, the suffering, the confusion. There's a confession of trust. And then a petition. There's words of assurance and then a vow of praise. And so we watch that progression as we, as we listen in the reading. Life's troubles demand so much of our time and our energy. They drain us, they distract us, and they discourage us. In depression, uh, one may feel useless or lazy and unproductive, which only frustrates matters, right? 
you may feel like the psalmist felt as if he accomplished nothing and that his life was just a waste of time. Which might not be true. If that's you this morning, I want you to hear something. Uh, I want to validate your feelings because I've been there. It might not totally be true, and so for the rest of us maybe who are trying to comprehend someone else's struggles, it might not be true, completely, totally true, that their, their life is a waste of time, but that's how they feel. And that feeling is, is just compounding anxiety. And so we hear about that a lot um, in, our, in our society. The psalmist talked about physical pain. He didn't describe uh, his situation as an annoying itch, right? Uh, he, he felt it in his bones. It was, a, it was a burning sensation, right? It was burning. His loss of appetite... Uh, which again complicates issues, right? Your body needs nutrition to function. And so um, his mind lost the capacity to remind him it's time to eat. And so anyone who's experienced serious loss or depression can say, "Ah, I know what this person's experiencing. I want to give you some statistics on, on mental illness. Uh, we went, our staff got to go to a, a mental health first aid course here in town. It was put together by the, um, the Lewis County Ministers Network, and we learned quite a bit, but some of the statistics are, are staggering. I'm sure they're even greater um, as I'm sharing them with you. But one in five people struggle with mental illness annually. So one in five, uh, look at your row. One in five. Three hundred and fifty million people suffer with depression. That's the whole world. And so to give you kind of an understanding of three hundred and fifty million people in the world who are suffering with depression, that we live in a country of four hundred million people. So our country's pretty close to the total number of people suffering with depression. Eight hundred thousand people commit suicide annually. The circumstances of life are so overwhelming, they just want to end it. Have you been there? I have. If that's where you're at today, there's help. Don't battle that. Please don't battle that alone. So I personally uh, struggle with anxiety. Um, 40 million people suffer with anxiety. Um, For the longest time, I denied it. I was diagnosed with it back in 2008. And uh, I was ashamed of it, to be honest. I thought, the Bible says you're not supposed to be anxious about anything. So if I'm a Christian or if I'm going to be a pastor, I shouldn't have these problems. 
And so I just refused, denied uh, to deal with it. So um, I have and continue to see professional counseling uh, for it. I've been uh, even prescribed medication to deal with it uh, when it gets really bad. 21% of people struggle with post, or 21% of people, women who have children, struggle with postpartum depression. And though that's a temporary form of anxiety, it is just as devastating. So there's a lot of statistics here. Um, and, and I kind of wonder how we're doing uh, as people first um, who deal with it and people who, can, who should come alongside others in that desperate, dark uh, season. Another thing that's mentioned in here that I couldn't help but notice is, is loneliness and rejection. Did you hear that? Uh, these can be devastating. Uh, you, you hear the, the words of description uh, in, in this passage. Forgetting to eat, uh, kind of follows that mental illness pattern, right? And only complicates things. And, and so we see that sometimes our circumstances or how we deal with, with our situations can push people away. Maybe you feel like, oh, nobody cares. I don't want to burden anybody. Or maybe if I just keep talking about my feelings, people are going to get tired of me. Do they really care? We wonder. People distance themselves because they don't want to deal with you or they don't know how. Sometimes their well-intentioned words or actions are like daggers. Sometimes they're from the people we are closest to. If all you ever receive from people is rejection, it will warp your view of people in general and even your view of God. You might say things like, if nobody wants me around, then maybe God doesn't want anything to do with me either. If you're single and looking to get married, you might feel extremely lonely, even though you're surrounded by a whole group of people. If you're married and looking to have children, uh, there can be a sense of loneliness that your family maybe isn't complete. And that can lead to despair. Loneliness has an effect on your physical health. It's a contributor to dementia, other forms of emotional health, like depression and and suicide. But we also get attacks from other people, which we also read about. Um, it's It's like you're being kicked when you're already down. And so someone's well-intentioned comment having no background of what life is really like underneath that layer of plastic can be really extremely painful. But then there's just people who... uh, 
one of, the, one of the things he said was that his name is used as a curse. And so if your name is, becomes synonymous with something negative like, well, don't want to pull a Ken, right? And that becomes the norm of the use of your name. This is what they're feeling. And so we hear about bullying, uh, physical abuse, rape. But abuse has many forms. Uh, Verbal abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse. Uh, Abuse can be traumatic and it can cause chemical imbalances and, and actually rewire your brain. And so I think a lot of times we fail to, to recognize that and, and maybe just because maybe we're ignorant of it. And, and so we think, well, this person, it's their fault. It's the reason why they are the way they are. This is the reason why they'll always be this way. They'll never change. They're not stuck. You're not stuck. There's hope. Jesus offers hope and restoration. Jesus can redeem our brokenness. He doesn't always take things away. It doesn't change the circumstance. Another uh, emotion is grief that is uh, in this passage. Grief is another way that we feel despair. Um, He talked about eating ashes, or there's an ancient practice uh, to let people know when you're grieving or mourning, you you put ashes on your head and your shoulders, and you kind of cover your body in ashes so people know. Um, So grief is powerful. Have you ever lost a loved one, somebody passing away? Maybe it's a bad diagnosis that you received. A loss of a job or divorce. Your family splitting up. One of the articles I was reading uh, about grief this week, I wrote this, wrote this down. It just made sense. Grief has a way of taking the color out of life and fading it all to gray. And so I thought, of course, ashes. And then there's sin, right? Uh, Sin has a way of distracting us from hope. It robs us of hope. It convinces us to walk in the opposite direction. It preys on our weakness. It is a constant battle to choose life, to choose hope, and oftentimes we fail. And we find ourselves being dragged dragged back to hopelessness. Uh, American novelist Anne Lamott says, hope begins in the dark. I love that. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come, she writes. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up. But I would add to that, Remember that God is with you. He's never left you, and he won't. And if you build uh, the walls of shame, 
so high and so close that it's hard to see that grace and mercy and forgiveness are even bigger. So remember God's character. Remember God's promises. God is good and he's trustworthy. He sent his only son, born on earth in flesh, like you and me, brutally murdered for our sake, for our salvation. Jesus willingly suffered, willingly, sacrificially executed because of love. You are loved. But what about those who don't know Jesus? Where's their hope? What if they don't have any hope at all? Can I submit to you that it's the reason that the church exists? To be bringers of hope to people. To be a light in a dark place. Community matters. And so we, we always encourage you to, to find a group, to find a place to, to connect and to grow in your faith, to, to find a place to serve. You know, serving other people, this is my experience, even in the darkest of days, serving other people will give you a different perspective. And it takes the focus off of you. Reading God's word and praying Yes, there are seasons of praise. Yes, there are psalms of praise, but there's also seasons of lament. Can we just be honest? You know what I've found is that in my days of lament, uh, I've worshipped God like never before. Because crying out to him and those words of assurance, that confession of trust, and the vow of praise is to say, God, you are bigger than anything that I will ever deal with, anything that I can, that I can ever deal with. It's declaring that truth, that even though in the moment it seems like God's not there, it's not true. He's right there. The point is, whether you're coming to God in praise or in lament, you're turning to him. God can handle your cries. He hears your cries. He cries with you. I want to invite the, the worship leaders back up, and as they do... Um, I want to point out that the psalmist's circumstances didn't change by the end of the psalm. His outlook changed. He yearned for future generations to come to the Lord. Is that not our prayer? I wonder what Centralia Church of the Nazarene will look like 50 years from now, 100 years from now. What will our legacy be? Who will be filling these seats? Are you praying for that generation?
His disposition changed. His despair turned into longing. Don't miss this. Longing in the midst of trial has hope, where despair has little to none. This morning, we're going to partake in communion. And uh, around the auditorium, there are stations set up. And uh, in a moment, we'll invite you to remember Jesus, his suffering, his sacrifice, and the hope of his resurrection. The night before uh, Jesus uh, was killed, he had one final meal he shared with his core group. And in the midst of their meal, he took bread and he broke it. And I just, I just wonder the difference